Covenant Eyes podcast. Karen Potter here joining you from Covenant Eyes. And of course, I've got Rob with me today. Hey, Rob, how's it going in snowy Michigan? Hey, Karen. Good, good. Enjoying the snow here. It's our first snow of the year, really. So kind of nice. Yeah. It's okay. I'll be glad when it's gone. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Well, you know, well, this month is uh, actually Sex Trafficking Awareness Month, Rob, and so we're kind of excited about today's guest because it's uh, an organization that Covenant Eyes has had a long-standing relationship with, and we strongly support. You want to tell us a little bit about who we've got coming on today? Oh, absolutely. So our guest today is Haley McNamara with uh, Nicosi, uh, the National Center on Sexual Exploitation, and. Haley is just amazing. I mean, her bio, <laughs> she's got a whole page of bio. I, I have like two or three paragraphs, so I'm a little jealous, but she's very accomplished. Let me tell you a little bit about her, and then I'll let her fill in all the, the details. But Haley is uh, vice president of the U.S.-based National Center on Sexual Exploitation, or NACOSI. She's also the director of the International Center on Sexual Exploitation in the U.K., uh, she leads international efforts and joint campaigns to improve policies uh, and education among global governing bodies and corporations um, regarding the full web of really sexual exploitation issues. Her advocacy work has contributed many policy improvements in social media, online advertising, retail, hotel industries. She's been an advocate uh, at the United Nations. She's led international coalition campaigns presented to the Danish, Croatian, Colombian, and Rwandan government officials, and really so much more. So, so accomplished. So, Haley, welcome to the Covenant Eyes podcast. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I love Covenant Eyes. <laughs> no, thank you. Well, Haley, uh, tell us a little bit more, more about you and certainly about Nicosi and the work that you're doing. Yes. Yeah, so our organization was founded in the 1960s. We've been around for a long time and over that time, we've grown and really expanded our scope. But our real philosophical lens is that all forms of sexual exploitation and abuse are interconnected. You can't, if you care about sex trafficking, it's Sex Trafficking Awareness Month, like you said, it doesn't exist in a vacuum. It's impacted by other things like sexual violence against women, prostitution, child sexual abuse, pornography, and more. And so with this in mind, our organization's goal really is to prevent sexual abuse and exploitation at a mass scale um, through our corporate advocacy. Sometimes we're meeting with Google or TikTok or these different companies trying to get them to improve their policies, also public policies, state and federal legislation, and through our law center, which represents survivors against institutions that have facilitated their abuse. So Really, our goal is to just try to go as far upstream as possible to prevent people from having these terrible experiences to begin with. Mm -hmm. Wow, your work is incredible. And, you know, I think there's kind of a, a feels like anyways, a change out there. There's so much attention um, in the last, you know, 12 to 18 months about trafficking. I think some of that came from the movie over the summer with Sound of Freedom, kind of opening the door to the conversation to the masses, because a lot of people are unaware of how big the issue of sex trafficking is. Um, and then we've had a lot of things in the media uh, recently that kind of have unveiled some things that are going on as far as sex trafficking goes. Are you guys seeing more engagement on your end? And, and what does that look like? Yeah, I think so. You know, when whenever these issues hit the news or the theaters, it brings more people to be aware and to want to get involved. Um, 
which is always a really important thing. So I'm encouraged. I think that we're seeing people, you know, our organization's nonpartisan. We work with all different kinds of people. And it's encouraging to see people from all different political, religious, individual backgrounds who can come together and say, no, this is something that we care about and want to make progress on, which sometimes is hard to find in today's world. So it's nice to be working on an issue that I think everyone should be able to agree on. Absolutely. You know, that's one of the things, Haley, I, when I was at the uh, Nicosi summit that you guys do annually a few years ago before COVID, um, you know, because everything kind of shut down after that, I know you guys are back on track. And um, But when I was at this conference, it was amazing to me to see everybody from all different backgrounds, all different political political backgrounds coming together and uniting on a topic that we can really all get behind. It was beautiful. And it was the first time I'd really seen such a coming together like that. Is that something that really inspires you in your work that, you know, this is a topic that so many people can unite behind? Oh, it really does. And you're right. Our, our summits, they stopped or they went online um, for a few years, but it's back this August. So Yay! information about it. Um, but no, exactly. I mean, I think these issues are dark and serious that we're working on and talking about, but it's so encouraging to just see the number of people who actually care, who do want to do something. And a lot of people care about it and say, well, I want to do something, but I just don't know what I can do, um, which is kind of an exciting place to be because it means if we can make some actions easily available to people, we can have a really huge movement that can create a lot of change. So that's something we're trying to do. Uh, and it, it, but it is encouraging to see how many people really do care. Yeah, that definitely is. And, and Haley, you know, we follow Nicosi, and we've seen some really impressive wins this last year or two. You know, give us a sense of what you're kind of looking forward to this year. What's on your radar as far as really areas, topics that uh, that you think you can make a difference on this year? Oh, there's so much. We're all, Whenever we put together our plans as a team, they're always so aspirational, but it's amazing to see what happens, you know, by the end of the year. So, We've got in our public policy sphere, there's some legislation we're really passionate about called the Earn It Act, which would make sure that big tech um, has a responsibility to remove child sexual abuse materials or child pornography, which is such a basic, you know, simple concept, but it doesn't exist yet in the law. And the courts are often confused about what the responsibility of these tech companies is. So we're really championing the Erna Act this year. Also, in a couple months in March, the Dirty Dozen list will be released, which is one of our favorite projects, naming 12 mainstream companies that facilitate sexual exploitation and abuse. So that's a great action opportunity. I'm sure we'll talk about that some more, if not today, another time. But that will be released, and there's always a lot of great victories that come from that. Our summit is this August. Um, oh, and our law center. You know, we are in the middle of active litigation with multiple pornography companies, with Twitter as well, and some other social media companies around ways that they have facilitated sexual exploitation. So I would love to see some big victories in those lawsuits this year. 
Absolutely. We would like to as well. You know, you mentioned the online platforms and and kind of their role uh, that they play in this. Can we dive into that a little bit deeper as far as, you know, pornography kind of is that gateway to and it fuels the sex trafficking industry? And, and how are these online platforms responsible for that and um, not taking accountability for their part in that process? Yeah, absolutely. I would say I would even back up a bit at first and say there's multiple ways that pornography and sex trafficking are linked. One of those is the research is very clear that pornography, um, you know, shows theme, rampant themes of sexual violence, of coercion, themes like people being drugged or people being homeless and desperate. So it really normalizes sexual violence and exploitation of multiple kinds. In addition to that, there's research that shows that on a whole, pornography usage is linked to increased likelihood of sexual aggression and sexual violence. Obviously, not everyone who uses it, but on a whole, when we look at the research, that trend is clear and consistent. Even the CDC has actually acknowledged that. And um, there's also some research that shows that pornography usage is linked to increased likelihood of buying sex. So for some people, as I'm sure those who listen to the Covenant Eyes podcast are aware of the issue of escalation with pornography use that for some individuals, it might lead to viewing more material over time or more extreme material over time, more shocking material. For some, it leads them to act out in the physical world going out and purchasing a person, which is something that they wouldn't have done in the first place. And and that demand, you know, is what fuels the sex trafficking marketplace. Sex buyers are the sole revenue source for sex trafficking. So we see all of these ways that pornography is linked with sex trafficking. But I think in the last couple of years, the reality of sex trafficking being filmed or um, non-consensual materials being uh, monetized and therefore becoming sex trafficking materials on mainstream pornography platforms, this issue has really risen to the top um, of a lot of people's public consciousness. So, and that's what our lawsuits are right now against Pornhub and also against X videos, where in one case we have we know of a 16-year-old girl involved in one of our lawsuits who was being sex trafficked and abused in just the complete state of vulnerability and what her abuse was filmed and uploaded to Pornhub and monetized and shared there. And over the last couple of years, it's just come out increasingly through ethics committee hearings at the Canadian government level to these lawsuits to survivors and even whistleblowers speaking out, sharing how these platforms uh, have long operated essentially like a YouTube where anyone could upload anything that they wanted. And there was no meaningful age or consent verification of the individuals who are portrayed in the videos. And so what that has led to is significant amount of sex trafficking, um, non-consensually shared videos, and even child sexual abuse materials being uploaded to mainstream pornography platforms. And there's just been a total disregard within the pornography industry for this issue. They're starting to get a little bit more concerned about it now that there's lawsuits and they have um, had federal investigations against them and and more. And 
So now they're starting to do a few things to make it a bit better, but the core problem is still there. Um, even, even now, it's still possible to have videos on those platforms where you don't see someone's face. There's no way to verify their age or their consent. Um, so that is a really real way that these platforms are facilitating sex trafficking in a really active way. Haley, the, the, these mainstream uh, media platforms, um, are there any that really are concerned about this issue? Are there any that are working with you in some way, uh, you know, concerned about this issue and, and not just through litigation concern, but, but really do want to make uh, some efforts and some changes in there. Is there any hope in that, that they're, they're really trying to do the right things uh, with this issue? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And, and thinking about the mainstream, you know, kind of social media companies, I will add, you know, this, this problem of non-verified and abuse materials it's it's also happening on mainstream platforms as well. I think I mentioned, you know, we have a litigation against Twitter or X, I guess it's now called, um, for similar things, right? So I think any platform that um, allows sexually explicit materials to be posted on their site is operating with complete disregard for the harm that they're inherently facilitating because they don't have the infrastructure to verify age or consent. Um, so that's so that's one thing I'd say. As far as good actors, you know, it's really interesting. In meeting with a lot of these companies, there's good people who work in them. And we've met with Snapchat, TikTok, Instagram, Google, and more. And there's people in there who have said, you know, we're parents too. We care about this issue. We're trying to do our best. What we are often are seeing is that the trust and safety teams that are responsible for the protection of children just don't have a lot of political power within their own companies. You know, they're they're for-profit companies, so they're focused really on, well, what's the new product that we can create and taking the time to slow down and fully test out all of the ways that it could be used to harm people and how you could mitigate that slows down the ability to make money. And so it's interesting because we've had some conversations with these corporations where they'll even say, you know, they don't want bad press about exploitation happening on their platforms, but in some ways it can be helpful to those on the trust and safety teams to make it a priority for those at a more executive level. So I would say, you know, in, in all of these mainstream companies, I think a lot of people are really trying to do a lot of good. There's some companies that are doing better than others, but are there any companies that I would give a gold star? You can trust them without like with your whole family and never have to be concerned about them. I don't know if I could fully trust any of them. They all have some different loopholes or vulnerabilities um, at the end of the day. That's a good word of caution to a lot of our listeners out there that are parents. You know, it, you really you have to understand each platform and the dangers that are on there. Haley, with your work, I, I'm assuming you are well-connected all over the globe. Um, there's been a movement of age verification in some countries and, and places overseas, and there's been some movement even in our own country in different states. Is that helping our movement? And can you talk a little bit about some of the the changes that you're seeing in that 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 space, at least, that's helping? Yeah, this this concept of age verification, of keeping children off of pornography platforms is catching like wildfire, I think, internationally. Um, you know, countries like 
France and Germany and others, you know, the UK, I, I know Canada's been in deep debates about it for a long time. Many countries are pursuing this. And I honestly think that within 10 years, it's going to be the norm more so than the exception. I think it's common sense. People understand it. It's not infringing on adults. It's just protecting children from it. And it's in line with the way that we think about things like uh, buying tobacco or buying alcohol. So I, I think it's so common sense that I do believe that we're you know at the beginning of what's going to be a worldwide shift in how we approach these things. In the States, yeah, there are a number of states that are pursuing age verification. There's also some complementary uh, legislation that Nicosi's really passionate about called device filter legislation. And they work really well together. Like if any state passes both age verification, which requires the pornography website itself to with a third party and respecting um, privacy regulations, et cetera, verify that you are an adult. The age verification kind of puts that onus on the pornography platform to make sure that they have that safety check in place. The device filter bill uh, says that any you know iPhone or tablet that is sold comes with a pin code, which would essentially allow, well, any device that is sold has all of the safety features turned on by default. All of these safety features exist on our tablets and iPhones already, but on the iPhone, it takes like 31 steps to turn on all of the parental controls and safety features. So this would say it's all the same, you know, same content, but we're just turning the device filters on by default. Adults can turn them off if if and whensoever they choose, but children are not given the pin code that allows them to turn them off. And a parent could decide to give that pin code if they want, but the company doesn't give them the ability to turn off those features on their own. And this also, I think, is pretty common sense. And I think if you have both, that really is a really strong protection. But yeah, so basically this is, um, a, a really exciting shift, I think, that we're at the beginning of. And I would just, you know, for anyone concerned, reaffirm that this isn't actually a new approach. Age verification online has been happening in other ways for decades. There's actually an age verification providers association where they have really established guidelines and best practices for how to avoid user data being hacked or privacy, making sure it's age identification and not identity verification. So sometimes you hear misinformation that, you know, suddenly your name is going to be connected to anything that you watch online. And that's really not the way that the technology works. So um, given, given that strong technology background, and I think the fact that people are tired of their children being exposed to their content I think that there's a very bright future for age verification. I think that's uh, amazing. And how can the average listener of our podcast, you know, get their hands on this legislation and take it to their state legislatures and help kind of move that forward? Because I think we have to become advocates. If if our, you know, elected leaders aren't going to take this and run with it, then we can, as parents, we can unite and we can take it to them. So how do they find more information about this so they can start that process in their own state? Yeah, so you can go to um, our website and sexualexploitation.org. You can, in the search bar, just search device filter and you'll see blogs and web pages about it. But especially if you are 
hearing this and thinking, well, maybe I could bring something or suggest something um, in your state, you can email us. Email us directly at public at nicosi.com, ncosc.com. And we would love to connect with you because a lot of people get a little nervous around being involved in state legislation. They feel like, well, I'm not an expert. I don't know. But the fact that you are a constituent in your state actually gives you so much weight when you contact your legislators. And we are happy to give you talking points and walk you through the process. So we would love if anyone's thinking, well, maybe I could, but I'm nervous. Send us an email. We'll get on a call with you. That's awesome. We'll make sure that we put all that information in our show notes for our listeners that might be driving or at the gym, because you're definitely going to want to take a look at that. Haley, another interesting thing, though, I think these are great next steps. I think these are no brainers like this. This needs to happen regardless, but it still doesn't solve the exploitation problem, right? Because, you know, putting age verification out there, it's it must happen. It needs to happen. But it still doesn't stop people from being exploited on these pornography websites, right? So we still have more work to do. But I think this is a great next step. I just want to call that out. Yeah. Yeah. I, I completely agree. And that's one reason why, you know, we're, we're pursuing civil litigation in our civil litigation. You know, some of our requirements are for them to change their business model um, if if we win or if they ever wanted to settle. Uh, but in addition to this, I mean, I think we need criminal investigations and criminal accountability for some of these platforms who, in my personal opinion, the level of knowledge of what they've been facilitating uh, goes beyond plausible deniability. And so I think for some of these, there just needs to be that other layer of accountability. Well, Haley, you guys have been doing such wonderful work and so, so important um, also. As we wrap up today, just any kind of last thoughts? I mean, we we obviously have a lot of churches on here, a lot of uh, Christian groups, organizations. Um, uh, you know, any words for them and in, in, in encouragement or uh, advice on how they can get more involved? Yeah, I mean... Thank you for caring. That's just, that is such an important first step. And I just would challenge or ask anyone listening to think, what is what is one step beyond care that they could take? What's one action they could take? Whether it's, send. we actually have simple e- um, actions on our website where you can email your legislator about legislation like the Earn It Act or a device filter bill, or you can contact a company like Google or Instagram, which are currently on our, well, Google's not on our dirty dozen list right now, but Instagram is and Snapchat is, um, you can send them messages directly asking them to make improvements. And those kinds of actions over the years, we've seen them make a difference. We've actually had companies tell us we're getting hundreds of emails a week. Okay, let's have a meeting and talk about what we can improve. So you at dirtydozenlist.com, you can take action around the mainstream companies. Um, and then I think just any support, care, prayers that you can give towards the litigation and survivors who are taking the very difficult uh, step of speaking out against some of these exploitive companies is also always appreciated. So I just say in in one way or another, take one small action step today and every small action step makes a huge difference in totality. So really grateful for 
everyone being involved. Thank you so much, Haley, for sharing all the work that you're doing at Nicosi. And we will continue to hold you up in our prayers and continue to support and share the message with our listeners. We'll have you guys back. Um, I think it's in March when the the next Dirty Dozen list comes out. So yeah, we've got you guys coming back to share that. Listeners, you don't want to miss that list. Um, It's really, really informative. It's helpful. And then it gives you some activation that you can do from there as well. So thank you again for joining us, Haley. We wish you all the best and we'll see you again soon. And to all of our listeners out there, thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Covenant Eyes podcast. Be sure to share this far and wide and like our podcast. We love it when you leave us comments and we'll talk to you next time. Take care. God bless. (laughs) 